G'day and welcome to Radio Notes. And today from the archives, Brendan B. Brown of Wheatus from late June 2012. In 2020, they've had a resurgence for their song Teenage Dirtbag, which was released at the start of the 2000s, with the likes of Madonna, Dennis Rodman and Drew Barrymore, to name just three, who have been using snippets of that song to highlight their teenage years via TikTok. Quick production note, this has been taken from the live aspect of when the pre-recorded was played. The original chat, which I would have edited for you and put together as the full from the archives, is somewhere deep in the archives. It's eluded me, but that noted, let's... Dive into the archives. Fat as Butter is the uh, tour happening in Newcastle very, very soon. Got a, a bulk email saying that Wheatus were touring the country and uh, it ended up that no Adelaide media outlets were going to be having a chat with Wheatus. And then I said, hang on a minute, don't they have a new single? Don't they have a, a volume two out and about at the moment of their internet recordings? Just before I did head out to uh, help out and be part of the live 40th birthday broadcast live from the terrace, I dashed into the studio to catch up with the one and only Brendan B. Brown. And I must admit, we were um, eyeing off a bit of uh, birthday cake at the time. Congratulations, happy birthday. Thank you very much. Over the last couple of years, you've been releasing your EPs online and allowing people to pay what they want online. Would it differ for an up-and-coming band? Obviously, it would be very different if we if people didn't already know who we were. Um, much more difficult, I'd say. But for us, uh, our particular situation, because of when we signed a record deal and when we started uh, to tour and stuff, it meant life or death. It was our survival that was at stake. And it was, because we were able to get that online delivery system together, um, I think we survived. Otherwise, a very difficult time to get through for musicians from our generation. It was a big, big part of us still being a band today, um, 12 years later. If it was a, a new artist, it would be very difficult, I think, to, to try and start something like that from scratch. Although, I think that uh, it's much easier to develop a live reputation um, because of the internet, I mean, you can you can do the best, you know, videotaping of your shows and and put them online, and it's almost like people can watch watch movies of you, you know. So it's really it's much easier that way than it was when when we were, you know, we used to have to like play a show with two hundred people and get your family and friends to come down before anyone knows who, knows who you are, and, and and it was tough to try and make a party out of that, but you can make a party out of it on the internet these days. Talking about having a party, coming to Australia, I have a feeling you have a uh, secret affection for this particular country of ours. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I actually lived there for a little while. I lived at Jimmy Barnes's house in, uh, in Barrow, and we were recording there for a long time in, in 2001, and then I came back and I wrote uh, most of our third record at Byron Bay on the beach there. So I've been there a bunch of times. I love that place. Speaking about Jimmy Barnes, does he ever have a, a bit of a yarn with you about the South Australian, the Largs Pier Hotel, where he used to get 200 of his best friends to come along and watch? Unfortunately, I've never experienced that. I mean, I think that would be wonderful, but I, I didn't get a chance to do that. We were working pretty hard while we were there, so... But that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> we acknowledge that you're not actually touring through Adelaide this particular time round, that you're actually doing the eastern states and flying straight over our heads to Perth. And the reason why I've got you to join us is because this new record, you've said already on the public record that uh, it's great to move away from the three-minute pop song. 
how long do you want to go? What kind of areas do you want to explore? Do you feel like a bit of free jazz is in you? Well, no, I'm, I'm not a trained musician. I don't know how to read music, and I have a pretty serious reading disability, so I'm not sure I would ever know how. The, I think that when, when I was a kid, I, I was fascinated with the Rush album, Hemispheres. Hemispheres is a, the, the whole entire first side, side A, is like one giant song. I think it's like 17 minutes or 26 minutes or something ridiculous like that. And, you know, I picked that thing apart when I was 15 and 16 years old to the point that, you know, my parents hated my guts. That, that's, that record was on for such a long time, and I learned every little guitar part and every little corner and every little cranny. So, like, that's the kind of music that I liked when I was a kid. I, I think it's just coming back to, like, being able to go places inside of a song that aren't necessarily going to wind up making the same kind of point that everything else makes. Brendan B. Brown, special guest this evening, Wheaters, who'll be back in just a moment. But Hemisphere's record from Rush uh, was 18 minutes on the A-side. It was released back in 1978. It was the sixth studio album. Remember when they used to release album after album? Well, this was for the Canadian rock band Rush. And it was the final installment in the Rush's post-apocalyptic trilogy. Let's hear Hemisphere side A right now on Radio Notes. You were just listening to 18 minutes of what I would call bliss. Others have called a bit long in the tooth that tune. Well, thank you for your tweets. Cygnus 10 one Book 2 Hemisphere, which was the A-side to the Rush album called Hemisphere, the third in the trilogy. And it's all part of our chat tonight with Brendan B. Brown of Wheatus. And we're talking records. It's funny because buying albums was killed by the CD or by the internet, by pop singles. But now, now you can do anything, so why not try that? You know, why not try and expand on on something that, that interests you and, and, and have some fun. And the other thing is, it's like different parts of different songs appeal to different people for different reasons. So if we were to cut out all the bits that, that aren't necessarily top 40 pop rock or whatever, we'd be cheating people who download it and, and donate for it because and, maybe they want it. Maybe they want to hear that, you know. It gives them the option. Besides, these days, if you wanted to, you could just chop a piece of the song that you don't like out and leave it out and make your own edit. You certainly can do that. So what we're saying is don't censor the music that's within you just because of some genre. Uh, and that's what we do on this show. We play right across the genre. You can start off with some folk tunes, get into some top 40 and finish with a classical aria. The band itself also has had a, a lot, and it's been documented widely, a lot of lineup changes over the 10 plus years. In fact, the band starting back in 1995. Has that actually helped you as a creative, as a musician, to actually have different people come in and out of the band? Well, it's important to understand that none of the, none of the lineup changes have been um, hostile. It's all been amicable. And the real reason that anybody ever leaves this band is because they want to do their own thing. You know, they want to make their own record. Mm -hmm. I'm still good friends with everybody who I've ever played with. We're, we still chat and we still hang out and, you know, get drunk together. But um, the, the fact of the matter is that I kind of started this on my own before I had anybody to play with. And I had, you know, it was myself in, with a four-track and a drum machine and a bass and a guitar. So all of what I developed musically and, and my method for making songs happen on a record, it came while I was alone, came in solitude. Everyone who's ever joined the band and, and come on the road with us kind of understands that that's how it works. That's why that keeps happening, because it's kind of like my, my stupid little weird project that I started in the 90s by myself. You've also had band members who have been family members and then band members themselves just being family. How proud are you to have your music included in the Bully documentary? It's obviously a, a, a tremendous honour to be 
to be used that way. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it yourself. It's really intense. If you if you had any sort of experience yourself in school, I've read it said everyone is on the outside of the circle every once in a while, but there are some kids who wind up, you know, as targets for life almost. I I do know what that's like. So having that song used in the, in that and being able to tell that to add to that story. Um, of this kid who they who they profile, it's just I mean when you see it, it's just gonna it's gonna knock you out. It's it's the biggest honor. It, it's it's the ultimate honor, I'd say. Do you think the internet has helped or hindered in terms of bullying? Because people are now saying that the internet, social media sites are, are just awash with bullying online. I think that the internet just like like it was born, and when it was young, it was kind of stupid and adolescent and 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 did some mean things. Yeah, the internet is like a person. It's a reflection of us. And, you know, we found this new toy, and we did all sorts of interesting things with it right off the bat. We blew up things on it. We hurt each other on it. But eventually, we're all going to have to live there. And I think that, like, the internet and the culture of, of what people put up there see is maturing and kind of becoming more of a, not not serious, but but more of a place where we're reflecting how we act toward each other in person. Because you don't do that to, to each other necessarily in person. You know, I mean, have you seen some of these, like, message boards where they're just, people are just ripping each other apart, you know, viciously? You would never do that in person, really. I mean, you, you'd expect to get your ass kicked eventually if you were trying something like that. whole cowardly position of being on a, on a message board and not, not being held to account for it. I think that's... I, I hope that that's coming to a close, and especially with teenagers, because, you know, they're, so, they're just so easily damaged at that age. It, it takes a long time to get back from, from what, what, what damage can be done when you're young. Released an album which was beautifully called Suck Phony. Do you have a feeling that the days of the major record label, may it be that particular one or other record labels, are on notice? Absolutely. I think that the only people, I think the only people they're going to wind up signing in the future are real suckers. People who just like, who I'm not sure you could really call them artists because that's not what they do. They don't make art. They make celebrity instead. All the television shows that sort of claim to be bringing people up from nowhere and all that. That's just a gimmick, I think. There are artists out there that I've listened to recently that, that none of those people have even know about. Do you remember the, the Bonnie Vare thing that happened at the, at the Grammys when, when Bonnie Vare was, was on the Grammys and, and won the Grammy or whatever, was nominated and there was this whole Twitter meme happening like, who is Bonnie Vare? <laughs> no one knew who they were, and that's the point. Is like the celebrity world and the art world are totally, totally separate these days. Interesting. Some guy called Godier from Australia then goes ahead and and releases a single. But a lot of that, I think, has got to do with the independence of him as an artist before the record company got their mitts on him. The other thing is, it's, it's an absolutely, totally beautiful song, and and it, you know sometimes the merit is too strong to to deny. Sometimes. Sometimes the potion is too is too toxic, you know, and it gets it gets through and it gets through the gates of both the art world and the celebrity world, and then you have like that song, like Gautier's song, which is gorgeous. It, sometimes that happens, but I mean, you know, this is a question for them now: what comes next? You know, because they're obviously true artists, but there's a whole world of people out there who are probably never going to get over that song because it's been so ubiquitous. So. You know, the next stage is really, 
it's really tricky. And it's interesting coming from you because you've been there and you've done that in terms of that song that we're not mentioning. We did. We did. Started off also with a New York lawyer backing you up and then you still had some issues with a record company. So even having a lawyer on your side can make it tricky in the music business. I don't know where that keeps coming from. I mean, I've had I've had quite a few attorneys since the 90s. You know, I mean, it's always so expensive uh, to, to hire one of those guys. So you, you want to be really careful about, you know, talking to them a lot. <laughs> Formed at Luna until 1990, then you hired a New York attorney, Ray Milano, to shop your uh, album. Oh, no, Ray Milano was our manager, our first manager. That's suggesting <laughs> that he was a lawyer, an attorney. Right, right, right. That's correct. That is correct. So I am right in saying that you did start off with a lawyer helping you out. That's correct. We, we had, well, he became our manager first. Ah, right. But, uh, but that he, once, once you're the manager, you can't also be the lawyer. So that's why I was confused by the question. As soon as he becomes your manager, he has to stop being your lawyer because it's a conflict of interest. The legal mind of, of the manager. You, you can't have a manager with a legal mind. That's, that's sort of like, that's like the nuts and bolts stuff that people never talk about. You know, it's cool to talk about it. So I want to raise it because then, obviously, when you did have the issue with Sony a, a little while later, I'm thinking, well, if the guy was a lawyer and he was your manager, wouldn't he have said to them, hey, under section such and such, you can't do that to my boys. Well, what happened with Sony was they weren't going to put our second album out. They just weren't going to do it. Uh, they did it in England with a sort of a pitiful release, but they got it real. They got it all wrong. And they, in America, the, the record was never coming out. So we were kind of faced with the idea that we had just worked really hard on this selection of songs and they weren't going to be seen by anybody. Now, this is 2002. So mind you, there were still people arguing that the internet is a fad, you know, it's never going to take hold. CDs and vinyl are going to come back, and in the case of vinyl, they're correct, but everyone everyone would, would shoot down the idea of releasing a record for free, and I proposed that to them during that time. Put it out for free, put a million copies on the shelves for free, and take a piece of our T-shirts and take a piece of our publishing and help us get to another level here. And they laughed me out of the room. They thought I was ridiculous. You know, they thought that was the stupidest thing they'd ever heard. They were never going to put it out. And that was the relationship we had with them at the time. So it was quite sour. And, you know, that coupled with them thinking I was an idiot was not really going to last, was it? You know, that couldn't have gone anywhere. Well, they kind of asked me, well, what do you think? You know, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to get a day job if you're not going to put my records out. And they did not like that at all. They thought that was like an insult. And then that's how we got off of Sony and got free. Is this best thing that could have ever happened to us because a couple of years later that label went into the biggest swamp mess that any label's ever been in. I know a lot of the artists that signed around the time that we did had a tough time, like couldn't get out of their deals and everything went haywire. And so we, we dodged a bullet. That was an interesting time. It was very transitional. Nobody knew what was going to happen iTunes didn't exist yet. And off the record that was released on the internet, you can find it and pay whatever price you like for it. Pop Songs and Death, Volume 1 and 2 from Volume 1, If You Need a Friend. More from the lead singer of, and in fact, the man that is Wheatus in just a moment. The story of The Eggs, taken off of Volume 2, which has just been released for Wheatus. When the interview was being organised, it was like within about 24 hours or so, and so I quickly fired an, uh, a little tweet off to Brendan, and he came back and said, what are the things we should talk about? Well, a couple of things. Uh, Lemmingtons and the debate about Lemmingtons and motor race. So I asked him, mm, what about motor race? When we were there the first time in the year 2000, December, when Teenage Dirtbag was on the charts in Australia, I met a girl named Catherine Froggett who showed me uh, a CD by this band, Motor Ace, 
I think a pretty star. It was five star laundry. It was absolutely perfect. Absolutely beautiful record from start to finish. There's not a bad song on it. There's not a bad part in a song on it. It's just brilliant. And I held on to that record because you couldn't get it in the states. This was pre iTunes. So I wore this CD out, and I've been wanting to get it back forever and ever and ever because if that exists on vinyl somewhere, can somebody please get it for me in Australia? So you don't want iTunes copy because it is available on the Australian iTunes. You want a physical copy. I want a physical copy. I All want right. a physical copy. I know, it's because I'm old. Good Charlotte, you want to make a quick comment? Good Charlotte, the last time we played with them, one of the, one of the brothers, I don't know which, broke his collarbone jumping off our stage during Kenny's Dirtbag, so I hope that that doesn't happen this time. Brendan or BBB, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, man. The next song was made. That's a chat back from the end of June 2012 with Brendan of We. They are still performing live. Heaps of shows to go and see them at Wheatus.com for those live shows and their music, including the ability to download direct from the band. Next time, we'll catch up with Little Wise's Sophie Klein, the third anniversary of their second album, Want It All.